I'm Sarah Zanbergen, and I'm the ambassador for Stance. And this is the Take Back Talk Back podcast. Our mission for this podcast is to open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations, just like this one. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest on the Take Back Talk Back podcast, Julie Kuzmik. Julie is Senior Compliance Officer of Consumer Advocacy at Equifax Canada, an established authority on consumer credit. A self-described credit score dork, Julie is often recognized for her ability to convey the complexities of credit scores while engaging her audience with humor and analogies. Within Equifax, she is focused on the fair treatment of Canadian consumers in compliance with applicable legislation. In addition to authoring popular articles on credit for Money Sense, she frequently appears in the media to help Canadians build credit confidence. Who couldn't use more of that? Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much, Sarah. I am so excited to be here. I'm excited too. Thank you so much for coming. So let's take a moment to paint the picture. We all have a concept at least of what credit is, but for those who might not know, how does your credit score work? So anybody who has a credit card, a line of credit, a car loan, any of those types of credit, and even uh, cell phone pay after plans in some cases, would have a credit file probably at both of the major credit bureaus in Canada. So those are Equifax and TransUnion. And what's happening is all of those companies that you have those accounts with are reporting the information about the account, the current balance, the payment history, date it was opened, that kind of detail. They're reporting on a monthly basis, typically to both Equifax and TransUnion. And that's what is growing your credit file or your credit report. Also, we call it credit history sometimes. That's what's building your credit file over time. And so most people would have a credit file and a credit score is a snapshot calculation based on the information that's in your credit file at the time the score is calculated. So at Stance, as you know, we are all about increasing financial confidence for women, and we've done some studies that notice the difference in financial confidence between women and men. So that makes me curious, do women or men typically have higher credit scores? Is your gender on your credit report, and does it factor in your calculation? This is one of the cases where I'm actually very proud to say I don't know the answer. I don't know whether women or men generally have higher or lower credit scores because your gender is not on your credit report. So that is simply a piece of information that is absent. So if we were going to try to do an analysis of gender, uh, women versus men, I, I guess what we would have to do is make some assumptions based on first names because that information is on your credit file, you know, your full name. But that wouldn't be necessarily 100% effective because you'd be having to take guesses. So here's the good part about not having a gender on credit files is it cannot be a part of a credit score calculation. So the credit score algorithms truly do not care what gender you are or associate with. I really like hearing that. It's a comforting answer. 
So since we know that credit reports don't track your gender, it makes me curious, what about people who are transitioning and changing their name? So what's the process to change your name on your credit report? That's such a good question um, because I have encountered some people in that situation who were under the impression that they would have to start from scratch from a credit history perspective as if they were a whole new person not bringing with them their past credit history. And that is not the case at all. The main key for your credit report is your social insurance number. So that doesn't change with uh, changing a gender identity. So you absolutely keep your existing credit history. Hopefully that's good news for most people. Uh, There might be some people who would hope to not keep a credit history, but you do keep your existing credit history. And when you change your name, one of the things that stays on credit files is previous names. So if somebody, for example, changes their last name, which can be a fairly common situation, often credit files will retain the previous name of an individual in case a new request for credit comes in using the old name or there's some need to match against the old name. It's meant to be a a helpful feature that the credit file is listing all the previous names that this person may have been known under in order to increase the chances of matching that file in case one of the other names comes in. But in the case of a gender change, it could actually be harmful to the person to have an old name listed on the credit file. So let me walk you through a quick example. So let's say that I change from Julie to Julian. And I go to a car dealership where I'm test driving vehicles and I'm trying to decide if I'm going to maybe lease or I might finance the car. So I am applying for financing at the uh, dealership to get a sense of what I might qualify for. So, of course, they can't check my credit history without my consent. So I give my consent to have my credit history checked. And when they receive a copy of my credit file, they may be able to see previous names on there. So they might see a previous name of Julie when I now identify as male and I'm in there and they're reading me as male. So they might look at that and say, oh my gosh, there's there's an error here because can you believe it? Somebody actually thought your name was Julie, not Julian. And that's putting me in a position of having to effectively come out at every potential financial interaction. So one of the things we're very happy to do when someone contacts us with a name change related to a transition is we will remove all of the previous names in order to protect the privacy of the individual so that they don't have to go through that situation um, sharing their background unless they choose to on their own terms. Oh, that's fantastic. That's that's really cool. I'm, I'm really glad that you do that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about marriage. Does marriage affect your credit score? And I think it's really common to feel like your partner's credit score can affect yours when you're married. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's another question and a big misconception that's out there that we hear pretty often. So let's say that two people are getting married and one of them has a really, let's call it a colorful credit history, shall we? 
So that person has uh, missed a lot of payments, maybe has had an item or two go into collections. So their credit score might be on the lower end. And while the other partner has a much more pristine credit history without missed payments, and, and so they've, they've got a higher credit score. So the fact of getting married does not change anything on your credit file, and therefore it does not change a credit score calculation. Your name might change if you choose to do that and you notify the credit bureau, then the revised name may end up on your file, but the name does not feed into the credit score calculation. So the aspects that could affect your credit are if you co-sign a loan together or some other form of credit. Let's say you share a credit card. So one of you is the primary card holder and the other one is the secondary card holder. Of course, whoever is the primary is still responsible for all of the purchases that are made on the secondary card. And similarly, with a co-signed or guaranteed loan, of course, if there aren't payments being made, that can affect both parties who are a part of that loan. But purely the fact of being married and having one of the partners um, have a, a more rocky credit history than the other is not going to affect either party, generally speaking. And so secondary cards... Can you tell us a little bit more about, does that show up on your credit score? I'm really glad that you brought that up because there are a few important things to be aware of here. So secondary cards sometimes are reported to the secondary person's credit file, but not every time. And in fact, there are a lot of the cards where they aren't reported. And that's entirely the choice of the card issuer or the bank that is issuing the card. So they make the decision on how they report that data to the credit bureaus. And then as the credit bureau, we're just ingesting the information that we're given. So let's take an example, keeping with the marriage theme or, or long-term partnership. Let's say that the two people who are part of the couple, one of them has a credit card that they are the primary card holder, the other one is a secondary card holder. And for whatever reason, there are no other accounts in the secondary card holder's name. So if there's a mortgage, it's not in their name, there aren't any car loans or other types of credit accounts. If that secondary card isn't getting reported to that person's credit file, then as time is passing, they're not getting anything updated on their credit file. In fact, if you look at just the credit file, it looks like they're not using credit at all because there's no information, even though they might be holding a credit card in their wallet with their name printed on it and they're using it regularly, there still isn't information being updated on their credit file and they can actually become unscorable, meaning there isn't enough data on the credit file in order to generate a score for that person. And even if they previously have had a credit score and even if it's been good, one of the things that is needed in order to calculate a credit score is recent credit information in order to have the score result be as accurate as possible. And that is a really unfortunate situation that I have seen happen to real people. I've seen some women I know coming out of marriages and they're shocked to find out that they don't have 
a credit history anymore that can help them apply for new credit. And so that's a big heads up that I want to make sure that your listeners are aware of, that a good way of making sure that you're protecting your own credit standing is to make sure that you do have credit accounts that are reporting in your name. That's so important. And I, that, that's shocking to me too, because, you know, I can't believe the feeling of going through the breakdown of a marriage and then finding out that you don't have that credit history because you're going to be looking for a place to live. You're going to be, you know, potentially doing things where your credit file will need to be pulled. And then if there's nothing there, I can only imagine how difficult that must be. So that is really important. As if a divorce or a breakup isn't awful enough, you, nobody needs that extra layer on top of it. No, exactly. We, we talk about that a lot, you know, when you're going through a big life change and the last thing you need is, you know, to pile another either learning experience or a new obstacle on top. So that's really important. Thank you so much for, for bringing that up. Are there any other misconceptions about credit that you'd like to dispel while you have our audience at your disposal? Oh my gosh, how much time do we have? <laughs> I'm going to highlight, though, a, a couple of really critical ones. One is that everybody has the right to access their own credit file for free, no matter where you are in Canada. That is something that is right that everybody has. And we really recommend that you do that because it's an opportunity to check for any potential errors, check for any signs of fraud, and make sure that everything looks okay on your credit file. You don't want to be learning about an issue when you're trying to get the final signature on that mortgage application or when you're going through the awful separation and realizing that nothing has been reporting to your credit file for a while. But one of the things that many people don't realize about checking their own credit report is that it will not affect your credit scores. You can check your credit report all you want, and that will not impact your credit scores. And there's a huge misconception out there where people are concerned that I think I will lose points if I check my credit file, so I don't think I'm going to do it or I shouldn't do it any more than once a year because that's all you're allowed. You are absolutely allowed to check your credit file more than once a year and you will not have any impact on your credit scores by doing that. So that's critical item number one that I want to throw out there. And there are multiple credit score versions out there. So even though we use the term credit score in the singular all the time, so we should be saying scores. And uh, believe you me, I am that annoying person in the office who goes around correcting people, even <laughs> though it sounds like terrible grammar, but it should be. Will it affect my credit scores? And so this has always been the case. So for years and years, not all the banks use the same credit score version. So if I walk into a bank branch on one street corner and I want to find out what kind of mortgage rate I'm going to qualify for. So they ask my consent. They can't check my credit history without my consent. So, yep, you're allowed to go check my credit history. No problem. They pull that. A score is calculated on it. And they're going to see a number that comes back. 
they probably won't tell me what that number is, but for the sake of argument, let's say that they see a 770 and they tell me, okay, here's what you would qualify for. Here's what the interest rate would be, et cetera. And I want to comparison shop. So I'm going to go across the street to a competing bank branch or credit union and go through the same process. I would like to find out what kind of mortgage I would qualify for. So they're going to ask my consent. Can we check your credit history? Can we pull a score? Yes, you can. They're going to see probably a different number because even though that credit score is being calculated based on the same data in my credit file, there might be slight differences in how much one factor counts in the overall credit score compared to another factor. So at the first bank, I I said maybe I'm a 770. At the second bank, they might even see me as an 870. I might, there could be a hundred points different and that's normal. Like that is okay. The banks have a lot of mechanisms to account for the specific score that they use and make sure that they're getting the right data out of it. So it might be that at the second institution that I went to, they interpret an 870 the same way that the first institution interprets a 770. So there's no real negative impact to me as the consumer. I'm still being treated in the same way and getting access to generally the same types of loans and terms and interest rates that I would otherwise. But they happen to be doing it using different numbers. And one of the reasons I want to highlight this is that there's a huge increase in the number of opportunities and options that we all as consumers in Canada have to access our own credit information and to see credit score calculations. And that's great. It is so good to get that information out there and to help people feel educated and build their confidence around their use of credit. Mm -hmm. But the challenge there is that people are starting to see different numbers from different sources. And as I said, that's normal. It has always been that way. But the part that has changed recently is just people having access to it. And it generates a lot of questions where people understandably are saying, well, which one's right? One of them must be right. And what if there's a difference of 100 points or more? Like, I want the higher one to be the right one. I just want to get that message out there that it's okay to see differences in credit scores. The ecosystem is already accounting for that. And, and okay, here's a little bonus item number three that I'm going to throw in, even though I said I was going to limit myself to two <laughs> misconceptions I want to bust. Yeah. So when banks or lenders are looking at credit scores and they're using them to help make a decision on whether or not to lend to somebody or or what interest rate or if it's a credit card, it might help them decide what your initial credit limit is going to be. They actually are looking at scores in ranges. So credit scores, as you may know, range from 300 to 900 and the higher the score, the better. And what that score is actually representing it is a prediction of the likelihood that you will pay your bills on time. And that number, as I mentioned, is calculated based on the information in your credit file. So most banks or lenders will look at a score of 850 or 860 or higher out of 900, and they consider that the best possible score. It doesn't matter if it's 880 
or 980, you're in the same category. So when you look at your credit score and you see that there's a 880 and you say, well, where are those extra 20 points? Like I've got this really solid credit history. It doesn't matter. Even if it's the 780, even though you feel like, what have I done wrong? How have I lost 120 points? How come I'm not doing better? Because I've never missed a payment. I've never done anything negative on my credit history. That's accounted for too. The bank doesn't see you as any different from the person with the 880. And a 900 score is actually incredibly rare. So I want to make sure that people understand if you're in that higher score range, do not spend your time and energy obsessing about how to get an extra five points on your credit scores because it does not impact what you will have access to where credit scores are concerned. That's so good to know. So relieving because I know the first time I heard that there are different ones, I started to panic and thought I would be the person, you know, getting both and comparing and contrasting and trying to figure out where is that disparity. This brings me to another question, my own curiosity. You mentioned errors. If I do get my credit report, my credit reports, and I notice an error, what is the process for correcting that? So on the Equifax.ca website, the process for correcting any information on your credit file is called a dispute. And I want to highlight that because some people might look at that word dispute and say, well, it's not that I'm disputing this. It's that you have my address wrong on here or you have something on my credit file that I don't think is my own account. I need some help with figuring that out. It is still called a dispute to start the process, so I don't want anyone to be alarmed feeling like, oh, that word is too strong or too soft for what, what I need help with. But that is something that is, it's always free to go and ask the credit bureau to look into something for you. And so depending on what it is, there's an online process where you can submit uh, what your concern is. There's a secure capability for submitting documentation to support your request. And what happens on the other side is that launches an investigation. If it's something like an address change, then there's not much of an investigation to do. If, if you've provided the required documentation, then that address change can occur. But if you're saying something like, I don't have an account with this institution, yet I see this account on my credit file, then we will contact the institution and ask them for evidence that this account exists and initiate that process. Um, and as a side note, when it is that type of situation, which is relatively rare, but the honest type of errors that can occur are things like common names. So you can have in a large condo building in a, one of the large cities in Canada, you can have a lot of people with very similar names, especially if it's like first initial last name. 
So you might end up with uh, someone else's Visa card showing up on your credit file, or worse, someone else's item in collections showing up on your credit file. And so that's one of the reasons that we suggest people check in order to get those things cleared up before it is an issue when you're trying to close a loan or, or get that mortgage sorted out. And again, it's rare, but when that happens, we will help you figure it out. And if it is evidence of fraud in the very unpleasant situation where someone has actually applied for credit in your name and that has landed on your credit report, we'll walk you through the process. You can put a free fraud warning on your credit file, which should help slow it down if that person is still using your identity and a number of other steps. And what are some best practices to protect yourself from fraudulent activity? Well, have I mentioned that I think it's important for people to check their credit files? That helps you find any of these potential anomalies or issues in order to be able to deal with them. So that's that's one really critical thing. But in terms of the proactive steps, there are some basic steps related to, and I'm, I'm going to use a term that I hope you're going to be okay with, personal finance hygiene, things like shredding your documents that have your name and address on them, especially if there are account numbers, you know, your MasterCard statements, your credit cards, all of those things. A lot of people think, oh, well, the fraudsters are getting more and more sophisticated, so I need to be more worried about my activities online. And absolutely, we all do need to be concerned about our activities online and all of those good practices like regularly changing passwords and not using the same passwords for multiple sites. All of those things are still good practices. But like water flowing downhill, fraudsters will take the easiest path. And if that is noticing somebody's bank statement sitting in their recycling bin and being able to pull that out and and see what what they can do with it, then that's still gonna happen. So it's trying to be as careful as you can without driving yourself nuts with it. Actually, I'm gonna throw one more thing out there. Let's say you're finished your groceries, you realize that you left your purse or your wallet in the cart and, and walked away. Or worse, you know that somebody has actually stolen it. So most people would, their first thought is, I've got to shut down my credit cards, which is absolutely true. You definitely want to get those credit cards shut down before any or much damage gets done. And then, of course, you've got the headache of replacing the ID that was in there. But here's the next step that isn't quite as obvious to a lot of people. That person who has your legitimate ID can now potentially act like you and go and sign up for new credit. And so they might do that in person, but they might do it online. And of course, the banks and institutions which offer account opening online, they've got a lot of checks and balances in place to try to make sure they have legal obligations to make sure that the person that they're dealing with is who they say they are. But if that person has your legitimate ID and some of that information that may have been in your wallet or your purse, they might be able to do a pretty convincing job saying that they are you. Mm -hmm. Now, let's take that one step further. While they're at it, they mention, oh, and I don't have my new license yet, but I've moved. 
So here's my new address. So please make sure that when you issue this credit card, make sure you send it to my new address. And let's say that works. So a credit card gets issued in your name, but it doesn't show up on your doorstep. It shows up at the address that the fraudster convinced the issuer that you now live at. How are you ever going to know that this account exists in your name? I know, I know. By checking your credit file. Yes, that is correct. Well done, Sarah. You get points for paying attention. <laughs> Let it be known to the listeners that uh, Julie does not have the ability to up my credit score for answering that question correctly. Yes, I, and I, it reflects well on you that you haven't ever asked for that. So uh, I can't say that for every person I've ever spoken to. But for the record, I do not have access to anyone's credit file except for my own as a consumer, just like you. So you mentioned something earlier about items going to collections. And it made me think of my very first introduction to credit in general. So it was during my first retail job and my manager was telling me about getting her credit report in order to um, buy her first home with her husband. And she had a phone bill that got set to collections, not because of any error of hers, but because of a roommate's failure to pay. And I remember how she described it. She said it was this dark spot on her credit report and that it was going to affect her ability to get a mortgage. And it made me, as a young person who didn't know any better, very paranoid about credit. So can you shed some light on those items? Yes. All right. So let's start with what collections means. So if you, on one of your regular accounts where you have, say, a monthly statement, if you go, if you're 90 days late on paying your bill, so you receive the first bill, you're 30 days late, you didn't pay that one, you receive the second bill, you're 60 days, and so on, goes to 90 days, then that creditor or lender can put your account in a collections status. And that is fairly serious in the credit world because a future lender might want to know that somebody missed payments for that period of time. And so once you get an item that's in collections reported on your credit report, it will stay on there for six years. And that is six years from the date that it went into collections. So even after you've paid it, it does have to finish that six-year time period. So it's not six years from the date you paid it, it's six years from the date it initially went into a collection status. And we do get calls often from consumers who say, oh, well, there's an error on my file because this item in collections is still showing, but I've paid it. So that should be removed from my file. And we have to explain that, well, actually it does uh, remain on the file for a period of six years. And I am sure that some of the listeners right now are nodding their head, possibly with their hand on their forehead, thinking about their own situation where this happens to a lot of people because we all have issues come up in our lives. And so I want to highlight a few things about how that works. Once you have an item in collections, although it does stay on the file for six years, as it gets closer and closer to that six year mark, as long as you don't have other negative things being reported, so you are making all your payments on time and all of these other things, uh, your accounts are in good standing, as that one item in collections gets older and older, closer and closer to the six years, 
it is actually going to have less of an impact on the credit score calculation. So there is hope for people who have that situation. I want to make sure that I highlight that because, you know, one thing that I try to reassure people about People get so fixated on the number of the credit score, whether it's in the higher ranges or in the lower ranges, it goes, credit scores fluctuate. They go up and down. New information is being reported to the credit bureaus. Your credit file data is getting updated regularly. A credit score is not a moral judgment about a person. It's not a character judgment. It is not a indication of how worthwhile you are. Everyone has blips in the road on our financial journey. And so for the people who are working on rebuilding their credit, there is hope. There are consumer protection laws out there that limit how long negative information like items and collections can stay on credit files. So I just want to give that message that credit scores are not moral judgments. That's a really good one. And that feels really nice to hear because it often feels that way. And I know I've been asked for my credit score on a date before. So just, just putting that out there. Make um, sure that wasn't a date with me because I, I wouldn't be asking that information, not on a first date anyway. And it was, it was a first date, but no, Julie, all of our dates have been fantastic. <laughs> this conversation has taught me so much. There's been so many good takeaways and I, I kind of feel like I need to go check my credit score. How do I do it again? Right. So if you go to equifax.ca, which is our website in Canada, you will, you may need to scroll down a bit, but you will see a link that says, check your score and file for free. Um, maybe it's in the other order. Check your credit report and score for free. Um, but everybody can do that in Canada. So I absolutely recommend that you check that credit file for accuracy. And uh, let me know if you have any issues, I can help you try and navigate the system. I definitely will. Thank you, Julie. And for those listeners who might want to follow you online, because you do share a lot of best practices and some really good tips, I, I always love the posts you put out. Where can people find you? I am on LinkedIn, uh, so you can find my uh, profile there. And I also do tweet every once in a while on uh, credit-related tips and issues. Uh, my handle is Julie underscore Kuzmic, which is K-U-Z-M-I-C. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Julie. It's been such a pleasure. I've learned a lot, and I, I'm sure our listeners will too. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast. I really thought I knew about credit before I talked to Julie, but wow, it's so much more than just one number. In fact, multiple as we learned today. Obtaining your credit score and file is free, so it just makes sense to keep track of it. If there's something to take ownership of, it's your own personal credit. This is one of many financial aspects you should not be deferring to someone else. It's something that's on us to take care of. A good way to make sure you're protecting your own credit standing is to make sure you have credit accounts reporting in your name. And don't forget those best practices like shredding your personal documents. Check your score all you want, it won't affect your standing. But at the same time, I think it's important not to obsess over it. I used to think ensuring my two scores were as close as possible was of vital importance, so I was really interested to learn that it's okay if they're different. 
The fact that the system reports in ranges and 20 points or even 100 points isn't going to make or break a credit decision is pretty comforting. Something that stood out for me in this interview was that your credit score is not a moral judgment or a character judgment. That was such an important note. I feel like we place a lot of importance on it when it's something that does tend to evolve as your financial circumstances evolve. It's okay if it's not perfect. And hey, if you do happen to have a negative item on your report, it's really comforting to know it doesn't stay there forever. Just like the number in your bank account, it will change over time and that's all right. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm off to check my credit report. Not obsessively, of course. Thank you for listening to the Take Back Talk Back podcast, the podcast where we open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations, just like this one. You know what we don't talk about enough? The sneaky ways we lose money. Everyone is always so quick to blame coffee, and I have to say I'm sick of coffee getting such a bad reputation. I love coffee. I live on coffee. Please don't come for my coffee. There's something worse. Account fees. So many of us pay up to 20 bucks a month just to have our money in the bank. I have a word that could describe this, but I work for a bank, so maybe I'll just say it's poppycock. There is an alternative. EQ Bank doesn't charge monthly fees, transaction fees, Interact e-transfer fees. There's no minimum balance, and you earn a high interest rate on every dollar. Skip the bank fees and have your coffee. Learn more at eqbank.ca. The Take Back Talk Back podcast is brought to you by EQ Bank, Money Well Banked. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Equitable Bank. Any information provided is for information purposes only, and Equitable Bank makes no representations as to the validity, accuracy, or completeness or suitability of any content. You should seek the advice of a qualified professional or undertake your own research before making financial decisions. This podcast is produced by the phenomenal team at Quill. Thanks for listening.